Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. With us on this episode is Stan Hayes, the co-founder of Operation Barbecue Relief. When disaster strikes, Stan and his team of volunteers brings the barbecue. Welcome, Stan. Happy to have you here today. Kelly, thank you so much for having me on. When I said that you show up with barbecue when a disaster strikes, you know, I'm not talking about you're in the middle of a tailgate and you run out of (laughs) the good stuff. Uh, You're on the scene for hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, and other major disasters. What inspired you to launch an organization like Operation Barbecue Relief? Well, you know, it really uh, was driven out of the Joplin tornado. You know, back in May of 2011, when the Joplin tornado happened, I just really got into competition barbecue and uh, I'm sort of felt a little helpless as you watched, you know, the devastation. Uh, It's one of the first major disasters that you could actually watch almost live happening. You know, the next morning as I was getting ready for work, uh, my wife looks at me and she's like, you need to go. And I looked at her and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm a little running a little late. She's like, no, 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 you (laughs) should get your barbecue friends together. And instead of competing against one another, just go down there and cook for the community. And, you know, I left the house and was driving down the road and didn't make it probably even a mile before I called my mentor, sort of the one of the three co-founders of the organization and said, hey, he got me into competition barbecue. And I was like, hey, Jeff, what do you think? And before I could finish my sentence, you know, like, I was trying to think of something we could do. And so we, in about a 15 minute phone call, we hatched a plan to go to Joplin and set up at a parking lot. You know, who better than a bunch of competition guys that have minimal needs right. to go out and do that. But instead of competing against each other, come together to help a community. So that was the genesis of it. Thought we would be there for three or four days, serve four or 5,000 meals maybe off of competition smokers. We, we had a friend that had a fairly big, back then was a big smoker. <laughs> what we found though was about the third day we were there, as we were doing a little retrospect with some of the volunteers that had been to Katrina and some of these other major disasters was that there truly was a gap that existed, you know, from the time the disaster happened till the time the big organizations that would be there for weeks, months, even years ahead, and the local organizations, those civic groups, those churches could, you know, get their feet back underneath them. That's when the healing truly starts in a community is when the community takes ownership of it and can take it over. I've called us, we're like a stopgap. We come in between those organizations. We've obviously grown enough that we're, we're far past that now. I mean, we're one of the organizations that sustains for a period of time. I mean, we just got back from Florida after Hurricane Ian and we were there serving food for 38 days longest, largest disaster that we've ever done. That has just been part of, you know, the genesis and and the growth of the organization over the years. But we learned so much in that parking lot in Joplin that we still use today. So let's talk about that a little bit. The growth has been exponential. And I assume that when you were heading down the road with your smokers that you thought this is going to be a one and done kind of thing. And then, like you say, though, you realize there's this gap. At what point did you decide to formalize it? Uh, was it right there in yeah. that parking lot? It was in that parking lot that, that third day as we were sitting there talking. You know, a group of us said, you know what, we need to take this and we need to make it into a nonprofit. About a week after we got back from from Joplin, we started that process. Um, And it took, you know, it took months. I mean, it took about 
eight months from that time, you know, that we got back seven, eight months to fill out all the paperwork, do it correctly, get our 501c3 designation um, from the IRS. But, you know, from that moment, you know, that we got that, we, we can just, we hit the ground running. I mean, we, we didn't stop. We actually did a disaster after Joplin up in Pennsylvania it was the second disaster. We did a massive flooding event up there. And one of our volunteers was actually from Pennsylvania, flew in for Pennsylvania to help out in Joplin because as a barbecue person, I mean, we had, I think we had people from 11 different states come. Many people that I have never met, you know, before that, who are lifelong friends. You make it sound so easy as you talk, you know, like, okay, let's get our smokers on the back of some trucks and let's head down there and set up and and start serving. But I, I know that it takes a lot more than that to mobilize. There's a lot of organization involved. So walk us through First of all, how do you decide whether or not to go to a disaster site? And then second, once that decision is made, what starts taking place in order for you to have the most immediate and effective impact? So the first question is when we get off and asked, how do we determine to mobilize? And, and really, it's about need. You know, not every community after a disaster has a need. Maybe it hits a commercialized area, right? And yes, it's a bad tornado or it's a bad flood. You have the churches, you have the local, you know, civic groups, you have the local restaurants already opening up to feed those people that were affected. In those cases, we know the healing starts when they take over. So if we insert ourselves in that, all we're doing is taking away from the community, really, in those instances. We do get some some grief sometimes, you know, because we're not there. And we have to explain that to people. That, look, we don't want to disrupt the community. This is – we come in when the, the community is disrupted already. And we can then help impact them in a positive manner. I imagine that at this point, what, 11, 12 years later, you have a very sophisticated communication system. And yeah. you talked about safety, too. So there's probably training involved in the people that you call on now, too, I would yeah, imagine. So we do have a level of training. You know, we, we put our people through. They all know that if there's any doubt that safety is the number one priority. So if somebody's concerned about going in an area, we, we don't force them to go in. You know, generally myself or my head of operations or someone from our programs team is, is the first person on the ground. You know, with hurricanes, we have time to almost do the pre-assessment looking for, you know, locations and, 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 and things like that before it hits. So we have ideas like going in, I'll use Ian because it's the most recent hurricane. We sit there and, and we had seven different locations up and down the coast because you don't know exactly where it's going to hit. But that logistics piece is we know the times of year. So come August, our equipment's ready to roll. We have a, a meteorologist that we that we contract with. So we utilize that information in advance from him to pre-stage equipment. You know, we pre-stage it outside of what would be a, really a bad cone area of disaster. But like, for instance, Ian, we were everything was just across the border into Georgia, far enough away that winds weren't going to you know, really play havoc with it. The rain, you know, there are vehicles and stuff that are meant to be in the rain, but you know, it's far enough away that people are safe as well. And those things, though, are very fluid. Things change on a daily, hourly basis sometimes. I mean, the the hurricane changed paths, you know, and we left earlier than we were planning on leaving because it wasn't – it turned right instead of turning left. And those are things that you just have to be very fluid with. And and our logistics, we have freezer warehouses full of food that, that we're loading on trucks. But when we get in there, 
our forward culinary team basically has a couple of smokers and quick cook stuff. So day one, we did 500 sandwiches out into mostly to first responders in the area. Day two, we did a thousand. So we were on the ground. Why, why that's happening, we're building this mass you know, field kitchen in a parking lot. I was going to say, it reminds me of the military almost, okay. where you come into an area and, you know, they start they start building the infrastructure. <laughs> so it, it very much, you know, and, and we do have so, some of our guys are retired first responders or retired military. So there is is that piece of it. But it's also very reminiscent of going into a parking lot and building a, a you know, building out a competition, right. you know, grid of the teams that are coming in. It's just instead of, you know, being each team, it is a bigger, a bigger area. But you're also in many cases, even though you go out and scout around for the best locations to set up, you're still in in some situations right in the heart of all of the devastation. You know, maybe it's not as widespread to where you can literally go over a state line and set up there. Uh, and so you're dealing with lack of access to clean water and to electricity and so forth. How do you overcome those things to do what you do? We had those contracted to be there. We couldn't find water. You know, they were all being grabbed by FEMA or, or major accounts. And, you know, luckily there's a little local grocery store here, a regional chain called hy V, and they happened to call us and say, hey, we want to come and help. What do you need? And I said, man, I really need a tanker. And they said, well, just so happens last month we bought one. So they brought a water tanker all the way down to Florida. They brought water. They brought, they want to be more involved, you know, not just with Operation Barbecue Relief, but giving back in these communities that are hit so hard by disaster. And I think it says a lot for them. We have refuelers, we have generators, we have packages. I mean, You know, Sunbelt Rentals is a big sponsor of ours. They know as we're going in there, they know what our starter package is, that we need a couple of forklifts on the ground. We're going to need three to four large generators and and these things. And they started coming in while we were there. But we also carry one of their large generators on one of our, on our culinary area, on our trailer with five of our big smokers, uh, you know, mounted to it. It powers the whole culinary center or the whole kitchen area, I should say. And, and so, we have that with us. I mean, it's it's fueled up. It's ready to roll when we pull in there. Yeah, so you're pretty self-contained, it sounds like, with the exception of the water or the tanker this last time. Uh, but that brings me to another thing. You talked about Hy-Vee also wanting to be a part of the giving back efforts and, and being a part of the community. So this is involves pitmasters from all over the U.S., but it also involves other organizations who want to partner with you. So it's a very collaborative national effort, too. Absolutely. In fact, we, we've actually grown way past what I would call the pitmasters coming out at this point. And we push this out to everybody because we need more than them. I mean, to sustain the amount of time that we are on the ground, you know, almost 40 days, we were just over 865,000 meals in those 40 days. To, to be able to sustain that, you, you've got to have 150 volunteers a day. And as many heartfelt pitmasters are that are out there that want to give back and help, for 40 days, they can't be there. And, and really, so our push has been way outside of the barbecue community. It's back, look, you don't have to have grilling or barbecue skills. You just have to have a heart to give and want to be able to give back to a community and help people and, and work hard at doing it. And so the majority of our growth has been outside of that. A lot of our growth has been on the stay-at-home mom side to the church group side to um, school activity side, whether it's FFA students coming in ball clubs coming in and for a day to help. So we get these organizations also that want to come in for a day and give back. And so we have activities that we can do for them. You know, one of the biggest things is, is 
I've seen those pitmasters that you're talking about that have won TV shows and and won you know major you know the American Royal or Memphis and May one of these major competitions. They come in and may not cook a piece of meat. They may be running the sides area, you know, cooking corn, and everybody checks their ego at the door. and And it's really about the people. It's about the people that have been affected. It's about the people that have come to that community, those first responders that are there to help them. That's what we focus everybody on. You said that your greatest effort to date was Hurricane Ian, 40 days there in Florida. Uh, What's your average length of time that you spend? If we were to look at it, you know, statistically and throw out the top and throw out the bottom, it's probably four and a half days. Okay. So, you know, five days. They're they're small, right? I mean, the majority of these are, are small disasters. All of these meals, they take, that takes a lot of meat. So do you get that donated? Uh, do you get funding so that you can go buy the meat? How does that work? Both. Um, so we do get a good amount of it donated. We, this time we, we had some, you know, some big companies donate, some local companies. Prairie Fresh Pork, who's a seaboard company here locally, is, you know, the, they've been a longtime sponsor of ours. So they donate, you know, at the beginning of the year, normally we fill up, you know, we start putting it away for, you know, when they have some backlog or they have some overage. Um, they'll donate that to us. But during disaster, they'll also but sometimes we have such high demand that we have to pay for it, mm-hmm. um, and and that's where the you know the money from the donations that come in and and things like that it goes out to pay for. This year was first time in about six years that we've actually cooked beef. Beef has been so cost prohibitive that me spending money on beef versus poultry or pork just was ridiculous. But you know, National Beef came through this year and, and donated. You know couple of tractor trailer loads and it was it was huge for us. During COVID, you expanded your mission a bit to aid Kansas City's homeless population. So tell us about those efforts as well as some of the new initiatives you have that involve veterans and people with other types of needs. Yeah, so you know, during COVID we looked at this and we looked at the huge need. I mean, I think everybody can agree the pandemic was a disaster. And when we started looking at that, we couldn't set up field kitchen and and bring hundreds of people together, right? right? (laughs) So what we did is I saw friends that are in the barbecue business, you know, shutting restaurants down. And all of a sudden it, it, it hit me. Why don't we, why don't we lift up a restaurant? Why don't we give them all the food? And have them be the production arm of it. And so uh, Plowboy's Barbecue here in Kansas City was the first, you know, that was sort of our test pilot to see whether or not this would work. We were doing some with our own team downtown to start with, you know, serving the homeless, serving some of the homeless areas. But we, we wanted to do this on a larger, more sustainable basis than just using volunteers. But we also looked at it as, you know, how better to give back than to help you know, restaurants, because we didn't just do barbecue restaurants. I mean, the classic cup right down the street here was part part of this. And they did a fantastic job getting, you know, meals out. And we had food trucks. We did this nationwide. We did almost almost 4 million meals in, in a four-month time period across, I think, 13 different states. So again, your footprint is much larger than the Kansas City area. And now that you're expanding to serve veterans and some of these other populations I referred to earlier, I mean, it's incredible. Tell us about those efforts. Yeah. So, you know, you look at the fact that I think our busiest year, we've just been over 120 some days in in disasters. That leaves a lot of calendar left for the year, right? I, I call it our blue sky days and our gray sky days. And there's a lot more blue sky days out there than there are gray. It was led by our volunteers. Outside of disasters, when they had projects or things that they wanted to do, who were they working with? And about nine times out of 10, 
it was veterans, first responders, or active military, you know, a guard unit being called up or a reserve unit going somewhere or, hey, you know, my brother-in-law's in this unit that's going over. And so we activated them during the slow times. That's what we used to do. When things were slow, we would give them the opportunity to to get some money to be able to go out and put on these little thank you lunches, if you would, or family lunches before they were deploying. Or, But what we did is we've gone a step further. We've, we've started educational classes around grilling and barbecue to give life skills to these guys. That's just grown and grown to the point now that we've taken it a step further. We purchased a, a piece of property down at Lake of the Ozarks at the end of last year. And it's 180 acres right on the water, about the 73 and a half mile marker um, on the Osage Arm. And we are turning this into a camp for first responders, veterans, military members, and their families. One of the things as we started doing a lot of research, we find a lot of services for the service member, um, whether it's for their emotional injuries or physical injuries they've sustained. But a lot of times the family is going through so much and there's not the same kind of services for the overall family. This isn't going to be, there's not a lot of services at this. You know, we're not going to have a lot of counseling or anything like that going on at the camp. We're going to use nature. We're going to use grilling and barbecue, bringing food, which is the greatest unifier there is out there, bringing them around the dinner table together, bringing them to, to the grill cooking together. If you can bring a family together cooking together, there's something very therapeutic about a family doing that. So it's, it's one of those things, giving those life skills that we took for granted to these people. You know, if you put them out in nature as well, you know, where there no, there's no gaming, there's no streaming videos, they're out there being kids, hiking trails, you know, maybe shooting some bow and arrows, going fishing. As a family, to be able to do that, there's a lot of camps out there. There's very few that also commingle first responders and veterans. We won't, we're not going to determine, you know, the mix there. We're just going to let it happen because I think it shows those service members out there that their their network is much larger than what they thought it was. We're not the only ones doing this, but uh, around the Lake of the Ozarks and around Missouri, I think it's going to be, you know, one of the first that's really focusing on the family itself. And it's already growing nationwide. We have groups in the desert southwest that want to be able to send people here. Our biggest thing is getting the construction done. I bet. I mean, yeah, right now especially. <laughs> and, and But that brings me to the next question. So much to oversee. This is your day job now, right? So, so it is my day job. Uh, it's In 2018, I came on full-time about July of 2018 second half of the year. By the end of the year, we hired our programs person and we started moving forward and we're up to, I think, 22, 21, 22 full-time employees now. You know, we have our warehouses down in Peculiar, Missouri. It's not a very large warehouse, but we own about, you know, four acres of land around it. So we could expand as needed. We have storage down in Dallas for for our freezer space. We have dry goods space in, in Memphis um, we have another little warehouse down in, in Tampa. And then we have a, a host of locations that we can pre-stage things around the country. So you and Operation Barbecue Relief were recognized as part of CNN's 2017 Heroes Tribute. I saw the coverage of that. You got national coverage. What impact did that exposure have on the organization and on you personally? Well, me personally, you know, I'll, I'll tackle that one first. It, it was probably the most humbling thing that I've been through. It was very arduous process to, to be vetted and go through all of that for the organization and everything else. But for me personally, seeing not just the other nine, you know, top 10 heroes, but the total group and the impact that they were making, 
to be part of that group was extremely humbling because there were people that are literally saving people's lives and children's lives. And, and I'm like, I, I cook barbecue, you know? So it was, it was a little bit of a, a, you know, a mind shift that I had to make that, you know, the impact that we make with that hot barbecue meal is much more than really the, the meal itself. It's really about showing communities that people haven't forgot them, that there is love and there's still good in the world to come out and help them. That was the mind shift that I had to make. I, I think leading up to this, I knew that that was part of it. But for the organization, I think every company, you know, out there, whether you're a nonprofit or a for-profit, goes through watershed moments. And it it certainly was a watershed moment for us because as we're sitting there filming, you know, for CNN, we're turning around day after they leave and we're filming with Fox News. There is something that about what we do in giving back with food. I mean, barbecue is comfort food, you know, and one of the things that I tell people is, And you think about barbecue, I I think it's probably the top food when you look at it from the celebration of a marriage to graduation to the celebration of life. You don't normally have that broad of a food spectrum of how it's used in celebration of accomplishments, you know, and, and end of life. That's what I think part of it, you know, part of it is, is that it's so ingrained in people, you know, that barbecue is that comfort food. Barbecue is that thing that we do in our backyard, right? And if you can give somebody a pulled pork sandwich and they can sit there seeing themselves with their neighbors again or their friends in the backyard again because of the smells and and, and the flavors and the taste, all of a sudden you've done something that other things can't, other foods can't. It's memories, and memories are strong. Smell, your sense of smell is very strong. It, it helps you with those memories. And those things can help, you know, bring some normalcy, even if it's for 10 to 15 minutes. Bring back that normalcy to where people can vision the future of doing that again, having that backyard barbecue, having that block party again, and being there with their neighbors. And I think that that's what helps with the resiliency. I mean, because these people are, are – are so resilient. What's your long-term vision, your long-term goal for Man, Operation every Barbecue? To, every time I try to do this, you know, we started exceeding it. But I, I, I really think it is about bringing more people together to do good in, in the world. You know, I mean, bringing more volunteers together to be able to impact on a more daily basis, right? to find their passion, not just with us, but find it in their community to continually give back. If we can start changing in people's mindsets across the country by going out and finding their passion, whether their passion is to go help, you know, homeless cats or help seniors or to come and help us, you know, that's what we hope that we inspire people to do through this, you know. Obviously, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud of the, the amount of meals we've pro- provided across the United States and the Bahamas. You know, I mean, it's it's 30 different states plus the Bahamas, like I said, over 10.6 million meals. But the number, almost 10,000 volunteers, the the lives that we've impacted in our volunteers to where we see them come in multiple times through a year, taking their own vacation time, taking away from their families, shows, you know, the heart that they have to give back 
And many of those people you find are doing things for their churches, for their kids, their grandkids, ball team or something like that for fundraisers, using the skills around grilling and barbecue. Some of these guys were not grilling grillers or barbecuers beforehand. And so that's where I see this. I, I see this creating a whole network uh, across the country. I mean, let's face it. I hope that through the camps that we do, the educational classes and everything, that we get first responders and, and, and veterans that want to come out and give back and use that skill. And if it's not with us, hopefully it's with someone else. If someone is interested in learning more about Operation Barbecue Relief or interested in volunteering, where is the best place to go to find more information? Yeah, the best place is to go to our website and it's nice and easy, OBR. Dot org. There's a ton of stuff on the website. Stan, thank you so much for what you and all of your team and all of your volunteers do for those in need around the country. It never ceases to amaze me with the inspiration behind some of these organizations. Disaster in Joplin and you getting ready for work and just saying, I can do something. I appreciate you having me on and getting to tell a little bit more of the story of the organization. This is Joe Close president of Country Club Bank. Thank you to Stan Hayes for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. Stan has been recognized as a national hero, but he doesn't see himself that way. He was just a guy who loved cooking award-winning barbecue. But when the Joplin tornado hit in 2011, he thought about responding to the disaster by feeding displaced families. Rather than dismissing his idea as being too time-consuming or too daunting, he acted on it. And that has made all the difference Stan and his team have now served nearly 11 million meals to disaster victims and first responders around the country. Never underestimate the extraordinary power of a simple idea when an ordinary person is willing to act on it. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC. FDIC.